Where does God live? Your answer might be heaven. Maybe you say in our hearts. I've grown up with people calling the church the house of God. And so does that mean that God lives in a building like this? The Bible begins with a story of God creating a place where he wants to live. The Bible begins with this story of God creating a garden called Eden. And and he creates humanity and he places them in the garden. And God's intention is to dwell with humanity in this garden. Where God wants to live is with people. His intention all along was to dwell among people. We see God's God's heart from the very beginning of the biblical story. This heart of the love that has been shared among Father, Son, and, and Spirit throughout eternity wants to be shared with His creation, with humanity as those in His image that He gets to share this with. And what we read in the first couple chapters of the Bible is Adam and Eve, the first humans, lived in this garden with God. We talk about how they would stroll in the the cool of the day. That it was nothing to be in the presence of God in, in, in a way that you and I can't imagine. God wants to dwell with humanity. He always has and always will want to. Here's the problem though. We flip the page And on page three of the Bible, things go south. We read the story, and you're you're probably familiar, of Adam and Eve who, who ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil where God told them not to. And in that, they break relationship with God. Sin enters the world, and instead of of trust and knowing one another and being able to be close, sin causes separation. All of a sudden, the, the, the relationship they had in the garden of God being able to dwell with humanity in the way that he wanted to, that can't be the same case. Because sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden creates separation between God and humanity. Now, there are all kinds of ways where we've try to understand this and talk about it. And ultimately what it comes down to is the reality of the holiness of God. Now this doesn't mean that like God is so mad at sin and, and mad at you that if you try to get close to Him, He's going to like kick you out and kill you or something like that. It's more along the lines of the reality of the sun is so hot that anything in space that tries to get close to the sun just burns up. That in light of the holiness of God, our taintedness and sinfulness can't exist in the close proximity that we were actually created for. And so God in mercy sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. Here's the thing though. God still wants to dwell with humanity. Even though there's the added complexity of humanity 
It's tainted by sin. Ever since Adam and Eve down to you and I, sin taints us. We can't experience the fullness of the Garden of Eden dwelling with God that we were created for. But God still wants to dwell with humanity. And we see that God takes steps towards trying to make that happen. We see throughout the, the, the storyline of Scripture in the, the people of Israel, God says, I want to dwell with you. I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. But it can't be like it was in the Garden of Eden. Sin is a real factor and so we need to figure out how we're going to make this happen. If you remember the story in the book of Exodus where God, he frees the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. There's the ten plagues and and he sends Moses to bring them out and they cross the Red Sea and and he creates dry land and then the, the water swallows up the Egyptian army. And God says he's going to meet with Israel on the top of a mountain at Mount Sinai. And we we have this uh, recorded for us in Exodus chapter 24. It says, When Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And it goes on later to say how afraid they were of the presence of God because it was manifested in a way that, that seems scary. Of we don't want to get close because it's this thunderous and fiery cloud descending on a mountain. But Moses goes up and meets with God. And this is what God says to Moses in the next chapter, in 25 verse 8. It says this, Have the Israelites... Make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Despite the fact that humanity and God can't be together because of sin and God's holiness, God says, I still want to dwell with them. One of the ways we're going to do this is by you making me a a sanctuary. And he goes and he lays out all of these regulations of how to build a tabernacle and later the temple. And for the Jewish people, the temple becomes this place where God's presence can dwell and through certain regulations and certain boundaries, he's able to dwell in the midst of his people. But it's still not the same as the Garden of Eden. In fact, the way that it worked out once they established the temple, I have a picture of the temple of Jesus' day. This is a recreation that there were, there were levels of separation all throughout it, showing the holiness of God and how our sinfulness can't get us close enough. Because of our impurity, because of our sin, we can't get into the fullness of the presence of God. You'll see all these kind of walls. It almost looks like a castle, right? And the furthest outside court that we see there, that's called the court of the Gentiles. Meaning, if you weren't Jewish... You could still kind of come, but you had to stay outside the walls. You couldn't really come into the temple because you weren't, you, you were impure. You weren't part of the, the pure people of God who obeyed his law and were part of covenant with him. Then the next kind of set of walls inwards there, the kind of courtyard that you see, 
That was called the, the, uh, the court of women. And women weren't allowed into the more inner parts of the sanctuary. And a lot of scholars believe that because of a lot of the laws surrounding menstruation and, and things like that, that the ritual impurity that came with that in, in the eyes of the Jewish law made it so that it's, it's easier for the women to stay out there, I guess. Even the next layer in. It was priests and those who were offering and bringing sacrifices who were allowed to that part. And then in the main building itself was only priests that could go in there. And inside that main building, I have it on a slide here. These are just kind of recreations and and drawings of what people assumed it was like. There was a curtain that was hung. And behind that curtain was a place called the Holy of Holies, or, or the Most Holy Place, based on your Bible translation. And that was the place where it said that God's presence would come to dwell in the temple. But listen, not even the priests could just go in there. Only one high priest on one day of the year after having sacrificed a bull and shedding its blood as a way to make himself pure, could he then go in past the curtain into the Holy of Holies, in the the presence of God, and then to, to shed blood as a sacrifice to kind of cleanse God's people so that God could be and dwell among Israel. God wanted to dwell among His people, but this whole system shows us the the strange barrier that exists between our, our sinfulness and being in the presence of God. God still wants to dwell among humans, but sin creates a barrier. And I think maybe, like we're not in this whole like temple system, but I think you and I probably feel a little bit of that as well. Like, it's hard to come to church on a Sunday after making bad decisions on a Saturday night. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is feel like we're coming in a place of God's presence after we know the sin that we've committed. Sometimes, whether it's, it's real or just perceived, we can come to a place and say, I... I don't know if I can approach God or talk to Him because of the things that I've done. We even have this innate sense within us that there's something about my sin that separates me from God. Here's the good news. On the cross, Jesus removes the separation between us and God. Jesus removes the separation between us and God. The whole book of Hebrews is talking about this. And and the author of the book of Hebrews, we don't know who he or she is. But they're using temple language throughout it. And, And the way they talk about it in Hebrews 9 is this. Under the old system, where there was all of the temple and the sacrifices and everything, it said the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's body from ceremonial impurity so that they could come into the temple. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship 
the living God. And later on in the next chapter, they say, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. We can enter the holy of holies because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place, into the holy of holies. Now, this is, this is talking symbolically, right, of, of this curtain that was there. No longer is there a separation between us and God that because of Christ's blood shed on the cross, through our faith in Him, He purifies us. He makes us clean. He washes away our sin so that we can come into the presence of God. We can symbolically walk through the curtain. But what I find amazing is it's not just like symbolic or metaphorical. Because we read in the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion that when he was crucified, that the, the curtain that was in the temple in Jerusalem down the road tore in two from top to bottom. This is a big curtain. The top to bottom is not a, a random detail. This was a way of showing that the separation between God and humans because of our sin has been dealt with. That you and I, through the blood of Christ, are welcomed into the presence of God. Where does God want to dwell? With humanity. And he made a way to do that. Now let's go a step further. There was another barrier in the temple. I talked about how there was kind of the outer court where the Gentiles were allowed to go. The non-Jewish people and if you were Jewish, you were allowed kind of the next layer in. This was a way of saying, well, we're the insiders and they're the outsiders. We're the pure ones and they're the impure ones. We're the ones that God chose. They're the ones that God doesn't care about. But what Paul in his letters writes about, in light of Jesus' bloodshed on the cross, he's saying that the curtain wasn't the only barrier that was torn down. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, once you were far away from God, he's talking about Gentiles, about non-Jewish people. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself was, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. What Paul's talking about here is like that wall in the temple that kept the Gentiles out. No longer is it the curtain that separates us from God, but also, symbolically, there's no wall between Jew and Gentile. Between those who have the right religious background and those who don't. Between those who were, you know, raised in the right home and those who weren't. He goes on to say, he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself 
one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. No longer is there separation between humanity and God, but God intends for there not to be separation between people. The reconciliation between us and God should flow out into reconciliation between human beings, between different groups together, whether that is through nationalities and ethnicities, whether it's that family that our family doesn't get along with because of the land argument that happened, you know, 30 years ago and we still aren't on talking terms. Whether it's they're not the, they didn't grow up in the right church tradition or denomination. Or they're the outsiders or have been made to feel like outsiders and we consider ourselves insiders. Those barriers are broken down through the blood of Christ. So that anyone who calls Christ Lord is part of one body. Those walls are torn down. Our relationship with God has been healed. And He's welcomed us into His presence. And that outflows in us seeking healing in our relationships and welcoming others into our space. The good news that Jesus has brought together God and humans who have rebelled against Him gets played out and put on display in Jesus bringing together groups of people who have no business being together. I mean, look at us in this room. Like, some of us, let's be honest, we're not hanging out with each other if it wasn't for Jesus bringing us together. And that's the thing that binds us together. Some of us have grown up in very tight-knit families where it's only our crew that hangs out. But Jesus invites us into something better, into a bigger body, which is made up of all kinds of people. Those who would otherwise be enemies are made to be family. Whether you grew up on the city side or the bog side of Montague, one family. Whether you're Ukrainian or Russian, in Christ, one family. Whether you're liberal or conservative. Whether you are black or white or indigenous, Christ's family. The question for us is how can we allow the the broken barriers that Christ tore down in the temple to get played out in our life. We have been welcomed into the presence of God. How will we welcome people to encounter God through us by breaking down our barriers? I want to make this a bit more personal today. I I, I want us to remember that it has been our sin that has separated us from God. Our sin has existed as that curtain that Christ has torn in two through His crucifixion. And so I've, uh, I've placed a little curtain at each of your seats this morning. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do, okay? 
I'm going to read the passage about Christ's crucifixion and the moment that the curtain was torn. When I read the verse about the curtain in the temple being torn, I'm going to invite you with me to tear your curtain in two. To be reminded that through Christ's death, the curtain is torn, the separation has been torn down, that God will dwell with His people. His Spirit dwells in us. His goal is to recreate the world into this greater than Eden reality where one day the fullness of His presence will dwell with all of humanity. Would you read with me and we'll tear these curtains together. Mark 15 says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes down to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, You have made a way for us. You you have been the way for us to come into the presence of God, to know the kind of existence that we were created for. An existence that's been tainted by sin, but, but You have purified us by Your blood. So Jesus, in light of that, what You've done for us, in light of our sin no longer being that separation, God, would we be those who don't hold up unnecessary separations? Would the gospel of reconciliation be played out in reconciliation in our relationships too? That the reality of the temple curtain torn and the dividing wall being knocked down would be seen in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing.